0: Or a windowless room in a downtown apartment should just grow something. Hello, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This Garden Talk Tuesday, we're going to talk about seed and plant selection. And please excuse my sometimes nasally tone today. We are in the midst of bed prepping and planting and the pollen has reared its ugly head and triggered my seasonal allergies already. So bad idea to choose an occupation that has you outdoors three quarters of the year when you have allergies. So anyway, let's dig into today's topic. So after listening to the first couple of episodes, let's say you figured out what types of plants you want to grow how much space you'll need to grow it, whether you're growing it in ground or in raised beds or in containers, and you've determined how many seeds or plants you'll need. Now it's time to pick out the varieties of seeds and plants you want to grow. There is no shortage of places to get your seeds and your plants, and no end to the different varieties and cultivars of each. But before you start, it may be helpful to know some definitions, right? So first, let's tackle the differences in some plant terminology, specifically with regards to plant names, and then we'll cover some other plant and seed definitions. So plant terminology. You may hear me say terms like cultivar, variety, species, family, or any number of horticultural terms on this podcast. What you mainly need to know is the difference between when I'm referring to a group of plants, a specific plant, or a specific type of plant. So let's start with the term family. When when we're talking about a plant family, we're talking about a particular group of plants that all have many of the same characteristics, right? So this includes things that make this family distinguishable from another plant family, like the way its leaves grow or its leaf or its flower structure. It's not always exactly the same across the board for every member of the family, but you can generally identify them as belonging together through any number of specific characteristics this is also true of things like nutrient requirements and diseases and pests that they're susceptible to. Those are all going to be the same or similar for each member of that plant family. So for example, plants like tomatoes, eggplant, potatoes, uh, peppers, those are all in the Solanaceae family, which we also call nightshades. And it, it sounds weird that a potato and an eggplant are related, but look really closely at their flowers. Jump on and Google potato flower, eggplant flower, and, and put those images side by side. They're almost exactly the same, right? So keep the word family in mind when we talk about crop rotation in a future episode. So the next classifications further down from plant family that we talk about frequently are genus and species. Now, okay, if you remember anything from science classes in school, You'll recognize these terms, they may strike fear in your heart if you ever had to memorize the nomenclature of various plants or animals. Uh, Let's see, how about Homo neanderthalensis, right? I tell you. (laughs) So just like in early humans and all animals, the genus is the part of a plant's scientific name that tells you which group it belongs to. So for example, all eggplants are part of the Solanum genus, where peppers are in the Capsicum genus, right? So they're in the same plant family, but they're in different genus. And the genus gives us more specifics about how they look and how they grow. So plants with the same genus are all recognizable as belonging to each other, pretty quickly when you just glance at them. The species is the part of the scientific name that defines the individual plant. So this will further define like the color, the leaf shape, or sometimes who or where it was discovered. So Solanum melangina is the genus and species of eggplant. And then finally we get down to variety and cultivar. And unfortunately, these two terms are often used interchangeably even by me, but they really shouldn't be. The variety of a plant is meant to signify that it is different in some way or another from others of its species, but not different enough that it would be its own species. So if we stick with eggplant for this example, right, we have Solonum melangina, right, That that's its, its nomenclature. You go with Solonum melangina variety depressum, that's a dwarf eggplant, where solonum melangina variety serpentinium is a snake eggplant. Varieties will often occur in nature and most varieties will reproduce true to type, meaning the seedlings will have the same characteristics as the parent plant if you replant those seeds. In that instance, so what is a cultivar? So a cultivar is a cultivated variety of a plant. Cultivar, cultivated variety, right? So this is one that has been produced and maintained, selected and cultivated by horticulturists, right? It's been selected for very specific characteristics. Some cultivars um, started as a mutation of a variety some of them are hybrids of two or more different varieties and we'll get to that in a minute. They also generally won't produce true to type from seed. To get the offspring to be the same as the parent you would need to propagate them vegetatively like taking cuttings and getting those to re and grow. It's like a clone. So to recognize if a plant you are buying is a cultivar there are a few telltale signs in the name. The first letter of a cultivar is capitalized. It's never in italics and it's always at the very end. And then the name of cultivars are also always surrounded by single quotation marks, never a double quotation, just a single. So for example, and obviously you can't see the words, but if I say the eggplant, Solanum melangina, Variety Esculentum fairy tale, where fairy tale is at the end after the variety, it's capitalized, and it's in single quotes, that's the scientific name of fairy tale eggplant, which, by the way, is a really cute little eggplant uh, that's multicolored. It's it's really pretty, right? Okay, so now I've gotten you super confused. (laughs) Let's clear things up just a little bit. If you're planting from seed, a good way to understand what it is you're planting is to know if the seed is open pollinated or hybrid. Aside from the scientific nomenclature that we just talked about, this is the easiest way to understand what type of plant you are growing. So we'll start with open pollinated, right? An open pollinated variety is one that self-pollinates or pollinates by wind or by insects. They remain Fairly consistent. They produce seed that will grow into plants that are more or less like their parent plant. The seeds from that fruit or vegetable can be saved and planted the next year and remain like the parents, assuming that they haven't cross pollinated with a different variety, right? Heirlooms are simply open pollinated varieties that have been around unchanged for a really long time, right? The generally accepted qualification is an heirloom is a variety that is at least 50 years old. Some organizations say 75 years. In any case, it's old, right? So some have been saved for generations. And some of them have been saved by only like one or two families in some rural town in the middle of nowhere. And then a seed company comes along and, quote, finds it, um, or some organization sees it. And now they are among the most popular types of certain plants. Some of my favorite tomatoes to grow are heirloom varieties. You just have to keep in mind that heirlooms haven't been selected in most instances for specific characteristics and that means they may not produce as well, they may be more prone to uh, certain diseases or pests or they may not grow in a manner that is really consistent. They may not have a usual, you know, shape and size, which is why you won't see heirloom varieties a lot of the time grown and mass for sale, like at the, at the grocery store. Because, you know, consumers have been trained to, to think, oh, well, it's uniform and it, it all looks the same. It must be good. And therefore... You know, heirlooms, they don't look that way Uh, unless you've got a grocery store that specifically has a display of heirloom tomatoes. And even then, you know, they're only showing you the ones that are the prettiest Um, and they don't ship well. There's a lot of different reasons why you don't see heirloom varieties of things a lot of the time in the grocery store. And that's okay. It's all the more reason for you to grow your own. Um, Hybrids. So a hybrid is the result of pollination of one specific variety with pollen from another specific variety or varieties. So a seed company will choose parent varieties that will produce first-generation offspring, which they call F1 hybrids, with the special characteristics that they want. And this is one way that we get a cultivar. So the desired trait that they're looking for could be size or shape or color or disease resistance or any number of things or any combination of those things. It's done in a really controlled manner so that all of the offspring are exactly the same. Why would you want hybrids? Well, for example, if you live in an area that is particularly susceptible to certain plant diseases like fusarium wilt, you choose a hybrid variety or varieties, because this can go across different plants, um, bred to be resistant to that particular disease, it'll help keep your garden disease free. You may also prefer, say, in the in the aspect of tomatoes, maybe something that produces a little bit more uniform of a a fruit. Uh, Hybrids are actually a good choice for organic gardening because they can provide an extra layer of protection against certain diseases that can't be easily controlled without some sort of chemical means. So you buy hybridized plants that are bred to resist those diseases and put them in the ground, and that lessens your need for any type of intervention later on down the road. Just remember, you can't save the seeds from a hybrid plant. Okay, well, you can, but the resulting plant may not produce fruit the same way it did the year before. Hybrids will often revert to traits from one parent plant or another. I mean, hybrids can have as many as four plants. So if you replant the seed, you never know what you're going to get, which, I mean, can be fun. If you take a a seed from a a hybrid tomato and you save it and you replant it the next year, you're going to get a tomato. You just won't know what kind of tomato. So if you really liked the tomato that you harvested, you'll need to go and rebuy that plant or that seed again in order to to start it. Hybrid varieties are labeled as hybrid or F1 in seed catalogs. Oftentimes, if you're looking on plant tags, it may or may not list that it's a hybrid, so you may have to look it up. Now, just because a plant is labeled as a cultivar with a capitalized name and single quotes doesn't necessarily mean it's a hybrid. There are plenty of ways to vegetatively reproduce a plant that has the characteristics the horticulturist wants, let's say a leaf color, right, in, a, in an ornamental plant without cross-pollination. So it's still a variety that has been chosen specifically for this leaf color. It hasn't been hybridized, but whatever the case, cultivars and hybrids are unlikely to reproduce true to type from seed. So if you plan to save the seeds from your best garden produce for planting next year, go for open pollinated or heirloom varieties. And we'll do a whole show later on about seed saving. If we touch on organic for a minute, organic seeds can be either open pollinated or hybrids. They are grown on a certified organic farm and have not been treated with pesticides or coated with chemicals. Buying organic seeds will be more expensive, but doing so, you know, can help to protect the environment and will protect workers on seed farms from harmful chemicals. So, I mean, we, we always look for organic seeds when we can get them. If you can't find organic seeds in the variety that you would like to grow, which happens to us a lot, go ahead and buy conventional seeds. The amount of synthetic chemicals on an individual seed is very small. If the level of chemicals is a concern for you, just watch out for conventional seeds that are coated with fungicides to keep them from rotting before they sprout. This is usually done to sweet corn, but it can also sometimes be done to squash and other seeds. Seed catalogs and the packets will generally note if the seeds are treated, so you can usually avoid them. If it's not, noted, you will still instantly know when you open the package. The FDA requires seeds that are treated with poisonous chemicals to be dyed. We've seen them in red, like neon pink, and a really shiny green. So they'll be totally obvious when you open the seed packet up. So something to watch for if you're concerned about the chemical usage in your garden. And with that being said, let's lastly touch on GMOs. Uh, Genetically modified or engineered varieties have had DNA from an unrelated organism artificially introduced. These are genetically modified many times to resist specific chemical herbicides or pesticides or to kill certain pests when they eat it. There are also cases where they're modified to resist specific plant viruses. So these are used mostly in commercial operations and they used to not be generally available for the home grower, but they're becoming more available in home gardening catalogs, specifically for things like sweet corn. And there are a few squash varieties I've seen recently. So if you're avoiding GMOs or GE foods uh, in your processed foods, and you want to avoid them in your garden, look very carefully at the description in the seed catalog and look for the word transgenic. Uh, I have yet to see any of these varieties as plant starts uh, in your garden centers and stuff. So this is mostly going to be for things you're starting from seed. There are more of them coming on the market for home gardeners, but they're still few and far between and easy to avoid if you so choose. Now, if you don't care about these things, look at that description, and when it says transgenic, you're going to know that there has been some sort of um, unrelated DNA inserted into that seed in order to produce a specific trait. So it's going to have in the description what that trait is. Usually, like I said, it is something about a a virus um, or a specific trait that uh, will resist chemical herbicides. So keep in mind, figure out whether or not that's something that you're gonna want in your garden. They can absolutely be way more expensive because there's a lot of technology and a lot of money that goes into creating these types of seeds. There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As US Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, well, let's just say we should probably drink more water. At least we drink much better coffee these days, but it still has a military tie. We have four bags of freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business just like ours, but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose and with every purchase they're giving back to military veterans, active duty, law enforcement and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com/coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments, cancel anytime, but I'm pretty sure you won't. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com/coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription. So, now that you know the lingo, And you've decided if you want heirlooms or hybrids or both, it's time to find seeds and plants. So starting your own seeds for your transplants is the most economical way to begin. Seed is relatively cheap, even when you're buying organic seeds, when you compare that cost to buying full plant starts. Seed starting is also a really good lesson for kids. They get really excited about gardening when they can watch the seeds sprout. And we'll do a whole seed starting episode. Um, you can really use a wide variety of small containers to start seeds. Old cardboard egg cartons are fantastic for this. Those little egg cups with their plants in them can be placed directly into larger containers or into the garden, and will completely decompose into the soil. A quick internet search for starting seeds will give you way more resi- results than you could hope to read. <laughs> so, pick one, one or two. Um, and get some ideas. And again, we'll do a whole uh, episode specifically on seed starting later on. Um, Most large summer veggies like tomatoes and peppers will benefit from being started indoors and moving into the garden when they're big enough. They just seem to get off to a better start and they could be ahead of the game as far as weeds are concerned. And plants that need a long growing season, when you live in a climate that has a shorter season, Can be started super early and transplanted when the weather is right. I mean, we have to do that here with our tomatoes, or our tomatoes wouldn't be producing very quickly. It's not to say that you can't plant many of these directly in the ground if your season is long enough. So, if you are in a very warm tropical climate, you could absolutely throw tomato seeds directly into the ground and allow them to do their thing. Just remember, as they're coming up, they are going to be competing against any weeds that are coming up. So, you'll have to keep your weed bed your weed bed. You'll have to keep your garden bed very clear of weeds. Uh, Curcubits, like cucumbers and melons and all manners of squashes, are easily grown directly in the ground. You don't absolutely have to start those ahead of time. The reason that you may want to start them in pots and transplant them would be so that you can get a jump on the season and kind of try to keep away from the pests. Specifically, uh, if you've got squash bugs or cucumber beetles, Um, or if you have a lot of weed pressure. Carrots, beets, radishes, green beans, leafy greens like lettuce and spinach, those should all be started directly in the ground. And I'll link that Missouri University publication in the show notes because it talks about which ones are better planted from seed and which ones are better as transplants. Again, you should always be able to find a, a publication from your local university extension that will tell you what is good for your region. But the information in this Missouri one is actually uh, pretty relevant across the board. So when buying seed, there are plenty of quality organizations that we rely on or we have purchased from over the years. Our our top one is always Johnny's Selected Seeds. Um, they do heirloom and hybrid seeds and organic varieties. They're our go-to, they're our main seed supplier and then for specialty stuff we go with Baker Creek Heirloom. Um, they do heirloom and open pollinated and they source them from all over the world. They actually go out and find these different varieties and bring them back and propagate them. Uh, seed Savers Exchange, Seeds of Change, uh, High Mowing Organic, uh, any just about any seed catalog is going to sell a wide variety of seeds. I just say stay off of Amazon for seed ordering unless you are searching for a specific hard-to-find seed and then take very close look at who is supplying that seed. You don't want to be accidentally ordering seeds from overseas. Not only will it take forever to get to you, but you have no idea under what circumstances those seeds were grown. Seeds in the U.S. that are, that are grown and sold for plants starting have a very specific criteria that they have to met and there's no guarantee something coming from overseas is going to meet those, those um, uh, specifications. So just look through the descriptions in whatever catalog you're looking for or on the seed company's website to determine whether or not the seeds you're looking at are open-pollinated or hybrid. If you're not looking specifically for organic or heirloom seeds, You can get any manner of variety of seed packets at your local garden supply center. Uh, And oftentimes now they actually do carry a large selection of organic as well. Just double check the date on the back of the seed packet. If seeds aren't stored properly, they won't be any good. So buy seeds that have been packaged for the current growing season. If you don't want to start your own transplant, I recommend buying plants that were started as close to your garden location as possible, like from a local grower or nursery. It will be better acclimated to your area and growers at farmer's markets or owners of local small nurseries can often tell you a lot about the varieties and the cultivars they sell and can help you with growing and planting tips. If you can't find the variety that you're looking for from a local grower, then move on to the big box store that may have what you're looking for. Just know that even the big box stores can only offer so many varieties for sale. So if you've got your heart set on a particular heirloom variety, say, you may not have any other option than to buy that seed and start it yourself. Buying your transplants, though, is a great way to get several different varieties to try out. If you're growing tomatoes, You may decide, okay, I'm going to choose four different cherry tomatoes and four different sauce type tomatoes, and then four different slicing type tomatoes two for fresh eating or two that are better for canning. In that instance, you're not buying a seed packet of 35 to 50 seeds of 12 different varieties when you only need one or two plants of each to try them out. And if you choose open pollinated varieties, You can save the seeds from your best veggies this season and then use them next season without having to buy new ones. Again, we'll totally cover seed saving later on. I hope this rundown of plant nomenclature and definitions was helpful in sort of demystifying plant names and what they mean. And that you've gotten some good information moving forward to determine whether you are starting your own plants from seed or buying transplants or maybe a little bit of both. So until next time, my gardening friends, uh, keep dreaming of uh, your best garden and we'll talk soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. I hope listening to these episodes is helping you understand more about how to grow and preserve your own food and maybe growing an awareness of food issues in general. Just remember, no matter where you live or what you have, you can absolutely grow something.